AARP Indiana, an information resource for Hoosiers about the CARE Act, providing support for caregivers when their loved one enters and leaves the hospital. More at action.aarp.org slash card. The end of the 2016 General Assembly. Will it be remembered as the Rhodes Session? The compromise on police body cam video and the governor takes a position on fantasy sports. That plus a state house protest, a close shave at the state house, and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending March 11, Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, the General Assembly passed a billion-dollar road funding plan. It means more money for state highways and also more money for local roads and bridges. And there will be no tax increases as efforts to hike the gas tax and the cigarette tax were abandoned. The state Senate voted 46 to 4 for the roads bill in the final vote. It's a two-year spending plan that relies on money from the state surplus and some money that was already allocated. It already it also frees up tax money being held in reserve for local governments. It's a short-term plan that will prompt a new debate next year over ways to pay for roads on a long-term basis. Here is Senator Luke Kennelly, followed by Senator Karen Tallion. So we have basically a two-year solution across the board for the state and for the locals, but I think the local plan actually is going to go farther than that. And we're doing that with no state tax increases and no new state debt. We do take exception to the idea that this should be characterized as new money. Uh, we also take exception to the idea that this is a long-term solution. Will this lead to tax increases next year? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwanis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV Statehouse reporter Jim Shella. Ann Delaney, is this a good plan? Well, is, is it better than a sharp stick in the eye? Yeah, but marginally. I mean, we have, a, we have an infrastructure problem in this state that won't quit, and it needs a long-term solution, and it needs it now. And instead, what we did was what we usually do under Mike Pence. We put a Band-Aid on something and declare it fixed. It's not fixed. There has to be a long-term solution, and it has to involve additional funding. And the sooner we do that, the better off we're going to be. Uh Brian Bosma pushed very hard for these tax hikes, uh, which is interesting, a House Speaker not getting his top priority, for, for one thing. Uh, but he also says that this will force a debate on tax hikes next year. What's the likelihood that that, that will go Well, ahead? I don't think there's any question it's going to force the debate on tax hikes. I, uh, one of the products of this particular bill is a study committee 
that has to report back before the 2017. It's actually a task force. Well, same thing. It's before the 2017 session, whether to make recommendations on how to do some more permanent funding of highways and roads. So that was one thing that everybody agreed on, and I think uh, Speaker Bosma was one of the most insistent people on that point. But this was a huge win for the governor. It's a billion dollars uh, over two years instead of four. And uh, the big winner in this was local government because 1.5 percent of the gas, 1.5 cents of the gas tax is committed to local highways. So they're going to have a hundred million dollars a year going forward every year. And that was a, a huge win for them. So it's a, it's a, it's a bill that Scott Peeloff described as if you took the best of the four plans that were offered, the governors, the House R's, the Senators and House D's, and you took, chose the best of all those four, that's basically what you ended up with, which is a good compromise and a good outcome for the legislature. All right. Uh, a lot of analysis on, on how much money is actually in this. Mm-hmm. The governor says it's $1.2 billion over four years. Everybody else says you've got to look at it in a two-year time frame. And, and maybe it spends a billion dollars, but there's only seven or $800 million of new money in it. Uh, the reality is the governor's going to have campaign ads that say a billion dollars for roads. Yeah, whether they're uh, accurate I, or not. Well, the governor, certainly, the governor has the bully pulpit and has the ability, as has shown uh, many times, and I'm not just talking about this governor, right. but other governors of other political stripes before him will stand up with their easels, figurative or literal, and say, look what we did, look what we accomplished, and, and it's largely up to them to frame it uh, in the manner that they choose. So nothing news about, big about that. What is significant, and Mike touched on this, is the local hit here in a good way, especially when you think about where this legislation was or wasn't six months ago. You know, nobody was talking about this, and you had reported on this extensively, Jim, uh, last summer until there was the incident with the bridge Bridge collapse collapse. or near collapse on 65, which had people, uh, you know, blood pressures up and traffic backed up. All of a sudden, it became a cause celeb. But keep in mind that when the governor first introduced legislation, the one you just referred to, it had no funding for the locals. It was only through subsequent right. bills, Brant Hirschman's bill and other bills, that the locals got money. And now they walk away with the authority, in the case of cities, new authority to impose wheel taxes. And in the case of counties, the ability to double what they charge now. So if anybody comes out a winner in terms of that, it's the locals. Well, the locals got the lion's share of, of the money here. Well, the locals needed it. That's the bottom right. line, too. Because when you look at the, the, you know, the balance of, of funding for roads in the past is skewed toward the state even though the vast majority of the roads are locally controlled and and maintained. And so when you have a $3 billion deficit in terms of roads and bridges at the local level in Indiana, you you need every penny you can get from this to go forward. And so it's a good thing that they got that money. It's also a good thing that they're going to look forward and hopefully next session address this long-term because if anybody says this is a long-term solution, they're not telling the truth. Nobody's saying that, and and they are going to find a long-term but this is also important because of all the jobs that this creates on these local projects in particular, uh, and that's huge for the state of Indiana. Go well, and, and, you know, people talked about coming up with more money and, and coming up with money in different ways, but one of the arguments being made today is that, that they, there's enough road money here to handle everything that can be handled at the moment. 
Uh, well, okay. I mean, you can spin it however you want to spin it. The problem is a deficit of mil billions of dollars at the state and local level, and we need to come up with a solution. And a study commission or a task force, I mean, it's the typical cop-out. They have a study commission to decide what to name the bridge over the Ohio. I mean, talk about lack of leadership. Jeez, what, Louise. What's forgotten here is that this $1 billion is on top of what's already budgeted for highways. Well, it also yeah. includes some of what's yeah. already budgeted. But it's right. on top of yeah. it. All right. Not entirely on top of it. All right. The bill that will determine who can and who can't see the video from police body cameras is on its way to the governor's desk. The state Senate this week voted unanimously to pass the bill that is now supported by both the media and law enforcement agencies. The goal is to encourage more police departments to make use of body cameras. Senator Rod Bray is a sponsor. The burden of uh, uh, whether to withhold this footage it's remains in the law enforcement uh, agency. They have the burden to show why it should not be released. Mike McDaniel, will this work? Will more police agencies purchase body cameras? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's inevitable that eventually you're going to see almost all of them have them. It's a matter of how long it's going to take to get there. And, and Senator Bray did a great job with this particular legislation, as we talked about uh, last week and before. Uh, and it balances the, the, the interest of law enforcement with individual rights and transparency, which everybody was for. This passed the Senate 50 to nothing. And by the way, I might 96 add... 96 to nothing in the House. By the way, I might add that uh, uh, half of the votes in the state Senate were unanimous this year. 90% of them were bipartisan votes this year. So it just goes all this talk about all the controversy and how everybody's always going head to head. This was a perfect example of how the legislative process works very well. Okay, when, when the bill came out of the Senate, it called for the automatic release of police body cam video in cases where there was a suspicion of police brutality or use of excessive force. That was taken out. Who determines that? I mean, that's the problem with the, the language on that, is who determines whether there's a suspicion? I mean, is it, the, is it the, the, the person who wants it or the law enforcement or an outside judge? This, this is a good bill. In the interest of full disclosure, my husband spent some time working on it he as did, well. He did, did a good job with it. And I think this is a good compromise but, uh, that will serve the needs of both. He, he's been a First Amendment lawyer, so he came yeah. at it from the immediate point of view. That, that's right. But he, he also is a law and order kind of guy, and I, that's why I think this strikes just the right balance. And it, it gives you a way to enforce it. When you put language like that into the bill in the Senate, you're just inviting litigation over the language. This if, is much better. If they're denied, people have a right to, to request go, a, a judge, judge to decide. Right, right. right. And that's the way to do it. You have to go to court. You have to get a judge to, to view it. Um, so it, it becomes a little cumbersome, maybe. But it, it, It's a process. Oh, right? I think it's a tremendous bill, you know, on, on the face of it, because it was so poorly done at the beginning. And it was, it's come so far from where it started. Uh, that makes it a tremendous bill. And the other thing that makes it good uh, is that it gets out in front of the adoption of all of these body right. cameras. I mean, uh, you know, we've been talking about body cameras for a long time. There's a struggle at local agencies to be able to pay for them, so there hasn't been a lot of uh, adoption yet. But now we've got the groundwork in place for how you deal with it once you start doing these. So as the police departments bring these cameras on, then they'll know how to handle them. And that's right. a great thing. It's very good. And using body cameras is a good thing. I think everybody will stipulate that that's a good thing. And again, I, I would agree. This is probably one of the General Assembly's finest hours, uh, or it was a lot of hours, but one of the shining moments this, uh, this session. There a few shining moments. Uh, this, session. this was a shining moment. <laughs> and, and it's not only instructive for what Indiana police agencies, uh, how they will operate, 
But if you look at this issue as it's bubbled up across the country in the past few years, states are struggling with how to deal with this. The, de the Department of Justice at the federal level has right. tried to look for the best practices and the best uh, way to handle this. This, I really think, will become model legislation, and we'll see this mimicked uh, in other uh, states. But it, uh, the initial bill would have been problematic uh, in ways that probably the sponsor and author had not intended. This, this resolves that. All right. Until now, Indiana law has been silent when it comes to fantasy sports. But state lawmakers passed a bill that would permit websites like DraftKings and FanDuel to do business in Indiana with some restrictions. A key question the governor must answer is whether fantasy sports amounts to a game of chance or a game of skill. My understanding is this is just simply an effort to create some legal boundaries and guidelines around uh, around uh, a, uh, 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 the fantasy sports practice that many Hoosiers enjoy uh, relative to the NFL particularly. And so we'll take a look at it, give it a fair-minded look. John Ketzenberger, does that response from the governor come as a surprise? Uh, a little bit, because, you know, they are dancing on the head of a pin here when you talk about the definition. These fantasy sport games have been uh, doing what they do because of a federal interpretation of the law, which in many other states now, has, has they have said that they can't participate. New York, for example, is one. Um, and the reason they do is they say it's akin to gambling. And so, um, you know, for a governor who has been pretty outspoken about an expansion He's of gambling, opposed to any expansion I can see how he could construct an argument to say that, that this is gambling and I, I oppose this. Um, it's it's going to be a, a close call, I think. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. What, what do you think he does? Uh, based on the comments that he offered to you, Jim, it sounds as if... Uh, he would, uh, he would probably sign this. I, that would be my guess. But John's exactly right. This issue, because of the 2006 federal legislation that uh, exempted this from the prohibition on online gambling, you do have this, uh, you know, mishmash of state interpretations. He mentioned New York, Texas, Illinois. Those attorneys general also said, no, this is illegal. But now you have a, a flurry of activity, much like Indiana this week, uh, the governor of uh, Virginia signed, became the first in the nation this week to sign uh, regulations. Now you see New York, uh, even though the AG has deemed it illegal, and New Jersey, Rhode Island, and others. The big issue now, and I don't think we're done with this as a state, is the revenue that can be derived from this, because some states like California right. want to tax it. Florida wants to tax it. Uh, Atlantic, or, uh, Atlantic City. New Jersey wants yeah. to impose the same tax rates that the casinos in Atlantic City pay. So that's the part two of this, this two-part challenge. no discussion of taxes here, but they do have to pay a fee uh, of uh, $50,000. To do business in state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there are some smaller websites who say this is going to keep them out. Is that problematic? Uh, can be, especially for those new companies that want to start this thing up. But this was designed to set some parameters around this industry. It's estimated that there are a million Hoosiers involved in daily fantasy sports, and that's a lot of people. And uh, as it ex it's explained in the legislature, that this is a game of skill, not a game <laughs> of chance. And the reason they say that's you true... No, I'm sure. It's, I've, I've, said, I've heard this definition so many times now that I'm, I'm still kind of reeling by it. But the difference is that the games, these games, the prize money is set in advance. They announce how many people are going to win, how much it's going to be. And, and they're saying that the reason it's skill is because it's up to how much you research these individual athletes to know 
who you're going to put on your team right. versus a game of chance where you're betting on a horse and you don't know what the prize money oh, is. Well, you could well, say the same well, thing about well, horses. Well, no, that's probably that's the difference. I understand. That's and, the way and, it's and explained. There's probably very little chance involved in whether or not that athlete will have a bad night or an injury. Yeah. Or, I, I mean, but you're not these are distinctions team. without differences because people who do the horses do all the research on what their you know performance mm-hmm. is. This is obviously an expansion of gambling. And the idea that you sit there and say, well, everybody's doing it, so we need to regulate it. Well, as far as I know, prostitution is still out there. Are we going to start regulating that and admit it goes on? I mean, either it's an expansion of gambling or it's not, okay? (laughs) And we'll see where the governor comes down on it. We will. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, is fantasy sports a game of skill or a game of chance? Your choices are A, skill, B, chance, or C, it shouldn't matter. Last week's question, should taxpayers foot the bill for two Indiana primaries in presidential years? 14% said yes, 53% said no, 33% said let the political parties do it. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. The session ended without a new civil rights bill that would protect the LGBT community, and that led to a protest this week. A giant Mike Pence figure called Mikey stood in front of the State House as part of the protest. It's the creation of Kevin Warren. He explained from inside the Mikey suit. Them not passing a civil rights bill uh, this session, is, it's unacceptable. Um, you know, I think it was very clear from all of us that when he gave the State of the State address that he had no intentions of passing any civil rights laws. And um, we're angry. We're not going away. John Schwannis, will this session be remembered most for what didn't get done? I want to know where you held the microphone on that interview, but um, <laughs> it, it may be. I mean, the, the fact that that's a given if you talk to the Democratic caucus leaders, for instance, on this week's edition of Indiana Lawmakers, which on many of these same public television stations. Uh, they will, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'll pay later. They will tell you that, uh, or they will, they'll make clear that this is going to be uh, a drum that they bang on for a long time. Uh, they see this as a way to mobilize their, their bases, their constituencies. They see it as a true distinction Whoa. between the two parties. Uh, and, and they will talk okay. about it early so, and often. Yeah, the Democrats won't let this go away. Uh, Senator Long brought it up in the Senate. It died there this year. He said today that he thinks that if this comes back, it should come back in the House. Uh, <laughs> and, the, and the governor says it, if and when it comes back in previous sessions, his position, as stated in the state of the state, won't change. And, and that would be a preference for religious freedom. Um, you mean discrimination? Uh, yeah, mean. I think that there's a lot of defini- defining definitions that need to be worked out here yet. But I will say this: I think that the way it worked out this year uh, for the governor, for the Senate, for the House, um, it tamped down a lot of the anger that had been out there. Now, will the people who are uh, opposed to uh, or in favor of LGBT rights uh, be able to bring that case forward through the election, well, through efforts like this and others? That's the big challenge. If they don't like the way the situation is, then they have to do something to change it. And the only way they can do that is to change the composition of the state house right now. And you know, so it's the Republicans handle it, I think, politically pretty well. But it's up to the opposition now 
to make sure that what happened the year before is fresh in voters' minds. What Senator Long is saying is that now communities, and Kokomo just did, uh, can pass their own ordinances, and that more than half of the state is now covered by local ordinances. And if there's a time for legislation like this, it will be when there's too much confusion. Oh, uh, and so they step in the and take ordinance. away the locals' option to do what they ought to do, like they do with plastic bags and everything else. It's okay to be at the lowest common denominator as long as we agree with you, but if we disagree with you, we take the power away. Look, this is the kind of thing that if Indiana is going to stand up and be counted after the debacle that Mike Pence subjected the state to, we need to recognize LGBT rights, and we need to do it as a state. I mean, it's fine that local communities are doing it, but I think the state has to step forward. And what you're hearing from Senator Long is to the reaction that he has primary opposition. And, you know, that's, that's what's going on here. And uh, they're running scared of their own radical right, uh, and they have reason to be. Well, the reality is whatever happens with this issue in the future will be dictated in large part by what happens on Election Day, right? Well, it'll take several Election Days for, you know, much to change in the subject. But uh, I was stunned at the uh, lack of fervor over this issue this session, quite frankly. And I think it's died down dramatically. Uh, I went out that door of the State House two or three times that day, and the most people I ever saw it there were five and so that's not exactly what I call a giant protest. But this issue is not going to go away. It's going to come back. It'll come back every session until something happens here. And uh, I expect that to be the case, and I think they know that's the case. And, you know, the, maybe the paradox is if the so-called compromise that was ultimately withdrawn by its author in the manner that John and Mike described, had that gone forth and been signed, I think just paradoxically the opposite would have happened because there would have been so much litigation over the exemptions that that bill carved out for religious institutions, that this would have been on the front burner, not because of necessarily uh, legislative action, but this would have played out in court in a very visible way, and it may still yet. All right. U.S. Senators Dan Coats and Joe Donnelly met with representatives of United Technologies this week and were told that the decision to move jobs from its carrier division from Indiana to Mexico is final. Meantime, the state Senate voted 44 to 5 in favor of a resolution that expresses profound disappointment in the carrier decision. Senators are worried that other corporations with manufacturing plants in Indiana will follow suit, and they want to send the message that they consider the moving of jobs to Mexico to be un-American. Here is Senator Brad Hirschman, followed by Senator Lonnie Randolph. The responsibility for this decision lies solely with the upper management of the Carrier Corporation, and their behavior is disappointing uh, to me as a, legislature, as, as a legislator, as a Hoosier, and as a now former customer. company's sole purpose in moving to Mexico was because of greed. If they gave up on us, it's time for us to get even. I would try every way I, we possibly could to get money that we invested in them back. And that's Senator Frank Mervan, Mike McDaniel. Will that resolution make a difference? Will, will it send a message to other corporations that will, be, that will have an effect? It could. It could, actually. But there's a tremendous amount of built-up anger over this decision by CARE from people in both parties, as was witnessed on the floor of the Senate. Uh, I'm not sure that using words like getting even is a good idea of moving forward when you're talking, trying to send a message to other companies that those kind of threats don't usually work to your advantage uh, when you're trying to create a friendly business climate, which we have in Indiana. 
but sure, there's tremendous anger there. This was an opportunity for them to vent and show that frustration. In the big scheme of things, will it change Carrier's decision? No. But a coach sent a message to other companies yeah. that if you're serious about working with us, we want some kind of long-term commitment from you that you're going to stay here and do what you say you're going to do. Well, it might have an effect on, on who gets uh, grants. and, and Sure. It may be, but until we change the tax code in Washington, it's not going to have the effect that everybody wants. And uh, I, that's long overdue, and it needs to be done. You're saying corporate taxes are too high. I, I'm saying... Corporate taxes are too high. No, I'm not saying corporate taxes are too <laughs> high. About the advantage. I'm saying so we got to raise corporate off, taxes. Off That's what yeah. some people are saying that there's. The, well, no, I'm not saying what that. it is. We is that the tax the code. Tax the tax code incentivizes some of these actions in favor That's of the I'm shareholder value, right. and you have to rebalance and recalibrate that equation. And you also have to do something with the compensation of the officers too. It seems to me because part of this is the greed factor. And when they can make as much as they can without a graduated income tax like that, you see these kinds of things. The thing is, I mean, the att I'm, this attempt was very understandable in terms of venting, but this is an issue that has to be dealt with at the federal level, much, I would say, as if the Syrian immigration issue where you can vent if you're Mike Pence, but ultimately this is a federal issue. Finally, the St. Baldrick's Foundation is a charity that raises money to fight children's cancer, and it encourages children and others to shave their heads in the effort to raise money and increase awareness. And that's why prominent lobbyist uh, Chip Garver had his head shaved at the State House this week. Garver promised to take part in the event if his friends raised at least $5,000 for St. Baldrick's. They chipped in over 6000 Garver did elect to keep his beard. John Ketzenberger, what would it take for you to do that? You know, I want to say that Chip Garver is, <laughs> seriously, he is, he is a tremendous person. And, and raising $6,000 like that, good for him. He's a brave man, far braver than I. Uh, the St. Baldrick's <laughs> Foundation has roots in St. Thomas. Uh, Thomas Aquinas and Chuck Chamness and He's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. A million four, actually. He's got a big in, event in ten next years. week. That's big right. event next week That's where right. you can get your head shaved. That's Indiana Week in Review for this 18th, week. On the, on the 18th at the Knights of Columbus, and it's important because only 4% of the money that goes into cancer research goes into children's cancer research. That so is this Indiana is Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program. You can find it at wfyi.org slash IWIR starting Monday. You can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.